Ladies and gentlemen, your attention please. Now batting for Fantasy Sports Radio Network, Fan Rock Fantasy Baseball, the host, El Melchior, Fan Rock Fantasy Baseball. here uh first of all five days a week now here on fantasy sports radio uh and uh if you're listening to me live you know that uh, yeah we're at a different time uh we're gonna be parked here for a while three o'clock uh eastern time noon on the west coast uh or one o'clock here in mountain time where i happen to be but uh wherever you are i uh, hope you're ready for some baseball talk uh but let's uh just wrap up the football season here by congratulating the philadelphia eagles on their first ever super bowl championship and uh, of course congratulations to mike trout and all of the long waiting uh eagles fans out there uh i was one of those as a kid but I guess I got tired of waiting, so I'm a bad a bad fan. Uh, <laughs> anyway, congrats to the Eagles, and, and going also going back to my childhood and, and further dating myself. Today is Hank Aaron's 84th birthday, and the first ball game I ever went to was at Wrigley Field. So obviously. Cubs home game against the Atlanta Braves in 1973. Hank Aaron was in the starting lineup. Um, it, it's, it's funny because uh, sometimes my dad will tell a story about um, the the uh, seeing Hank Aaron Homer get one of his home runs. Uh, but uh, my memory tells me, and I've I've confirmed this on Baseball Reference, that it was a three nothing win for the Cubs. So, but we all like to. Uh, we all like to exaggerate sometimes. So anyways, happy birthday, Hank Aaron. Thank you for a great uh, childhood memory there, whether you homered or not. Uh, and uh, anyways, we got uh, lots to get to. We are one week away from pitchers and catchers reporting, at least in a couple of places. Uh, the Mets in Port St. Lucie and the Pirates uh, in Bradenton. Uh, they, they'll be the first uh, sets of batteries to report one week from today. And then the following day, which will be February 13th, almost all the other teams, pitchers and catchers report. So we're, we're basically a week away from that. And already um, lots of players are re- already reporting to camp. Uh, both I noticed today, the Red Sox and the Yankees uh, social media accounts were tweeting out pictures of uh, players uh, working out. So we're, we're right around the corner. So just a few hours past the Super Bowl finale, uh, the Super Bowl ending, and, uh, you know, already getting getting geared up for baseball. Uh, as far as uh, the news, not a lot of big news, but uh, almost overshadowing the Super Bowl was the Bartolo Colon signing by Texas Rangers. Uh, we have a George Springer extension today, uh, today being Monday. Uh, I've got a little bit of Jake Odorizzi news, uh, but also joining me, a little bit later on in the show, Gary and Thorne, and he's going to help me kick off a new, new uh, part of this show, because now that we are getting heavy into draft prep here, I'm going to count down my time. And so Garion's going to come on the show, and he's going to share his top sleepers and busts, or I don't know if they're his top, top ones, but certainly uh, among his top. And also something I've been working on for the past uh, maybe couple weeks uh, that's going to set the stage for for some work I'm going to do throughout the season. I'm actually very excited about this. I've picked out 10 players who are statistical outliers, or at least a year ago, they were statistical outliers in some weird way. Some of these are players I've already talked about. Uh, we talked about uh, Andrew Bogarts on the show last week. He's one of the 10. Uh, Andrew Kashner, I talked about a lot during last season, even a little bit this offseason. Uh, but players who either, in the, for the most part, succeeded, and I'm taking a look at this list to see if there's anybody. Well, the, not everybody was super successful. But for the most part, everybody on this list was, was more successful than you would have thought they would have been based on their underlying stats. So they got it done some, some other way. And rather than just resort to saying, well, it was good luck or, or a bad case, bad luck, I want to really dig deeper into 
how these players perform this year to see, first of all, if they can repeat what they did last year and to see if so, how are they, how are they getting it done? So uh, I will, um, as I'm counting down my top sleepers and busts, I'm also going to be revealing the outlier list. These are players I'm going to follow all season long. Um, so that's pretty much it. We got a few other odds and ends here. Got a, uh, a Twitter question I'm going to get to. Got uh, a little bit more of a wrap up on the beat Al Melchior League, which I didn't really get to on Friday's show. So all kinds of stuff to get to. But let's get to those news items right away here. Uh, so I mentioned George Springer. He's getting a two year, $24 million contract extension. That's going to carry him through right up until his last year of arbitration eligibility. So obviously that's 2018 this year, 2019 next year, and then 2020, that's his last year of arbitration eligibility. Uh, this report initially, by the way, coming from Bob Nightingale of USA today, but, uh, you know, that's still a pretty, uh, you know, uh, I would say from the team's perspective, a good value on George Springer, as you know, as is typically the case with players who are relatively early in their careers. But Springer had a, 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 I would say it's a breakout last year, and I'll tell you why I call it a breakout because he, the power has sort of ebbed and flowed throughout his again relatively brief career so far. Uh, the stolen bases have been a bit of a mystery, but he cut his strikeout rate quite a bit last year. And it's the second time he's really done this in his career. So debuted as a rookie, had a uh, strikeout rate that was over 30%, and he had fairly high rates in the minors. So that was that's kind of something that's unfairly attached itself, I think, to him and, and to his reputation. A 17.8% strikeout, strikeout rate. And I'm sorry, I can't read. 17.6% strikeout rate uh, last year for George Springer down from somewhere around 24% where it had been the previous two years. Um, that allowed him to bat 283, get on base at a 367 clip. He had 34 home runs. He scored 112 times because that's what a good hitter does atop the Houston Astros lineup and still drove in 85 runs. But he was 5 for 12 with the steals. So I think at this point, with two years where he's been caught stealing more than he's been successful, count on George Springer to contribute uh, in the stolen base category. But all that aside, he still was the 10th most valuable outfielder in rotisserie value, according to the formula that CBS uses. And in CBS points leagues, he finished eighth. Probably the walks helped uh, Springer quite a lot uh, in, the, in the, point, uh, the points format. So top 10 outfielder, no matter how you slice it. And that's right around where I would expect Springer to be this year. I've got him right now ranked eighth among outfielders. But somewhere in that 8 to 10 range, I think, is where he belongs. So I think it was legitimate. Um, so, you know, good for Springer that he gets the extension. But also, I, I brought up all this with his stats, not only to just make a case that Springer has really, I think, firmly entrenched himself into a new stratum. But I also think it's a good lesson maybe for other players, like, for example, Aaron Judge. Uh, because not only do we have this example now of, of George Springer coming in with the reputation as somebody who strikes out too much, living up to that reputation initially, and then really making huge strides to improve in that regard. And, and what I keep hearing from people who talk about Aaron Judge, and not that, that in early drafts that he's, you know, I think going too low or anything, but a little bit of distrust of Aaron Judge saying, well, you know, he, he's just never going to cut back on the strikeouts. It's way too early to make that call. I think part of his upside could be a, a considerably lower strikeout rate. And it was uh, at, at junctures better in the minors, sort of up and down with a, a, a very high strikeout rate and one sort of like Springer that was higher than you'd like to see, but not terrible. Um, you know, we, we saw this with, with Chris Bryant, too, where he came in, struck out a whole bunch in his rookie season and then has made progress since then. So maybe that bodes well for Aaron Judge. Maybe that bodes well for Trevor Story, who is on a little bit of a different trajectory because he came in for a, a second season and that high strikeout rate got higher. But again, Story was somebody in the minors whose rates at times were respectable. So I wouldn't write off Judge and Story, just to name two examples, in terms of players who are just always going to strike out too much. They're both too young and too early in their careers to make that call. 
anyhow, let me move on. Uh, Bartolo Colon did sign that minor league deal with the Rangers. He'll compete for a spot at the back of the, the rotation. Um, not a very good season last year, pretty much however you look at it. But if you wanted to be an optimist with Bartolo Colon, you could look at a couple of things. One, that two years ago, he was still viable as, I would say, at least a streaming option. And even part of last year, he was, I would say, not good, but better. So he was just miserable when he was at the Braves. And the one thing that Bartolo Colon's always been able to, look, to deliver is a really low walk rate. So that offered him, in certain formats, that alone could offer him some appeal. Uh, but during the time he's with the Braves, he was pitching in the zone only 43% of the time. I mean, that was, that's just an entirely different pitcher than Bartolo Colon. But then after he went to the Twins, 51% of the time pitching in the zone. That's more like it. That's more like the Bartolo Colon that we know and love. But even so, even with that improved control, that more sort of vintage level of control for Bartolo Colon still had a 518 ERA with the Twins because uh, I think you tie a lot of that to a 1.9 home run per nine innings ratio, which is bad even by today's standards. So, yeah, Colon's got an uphill climb to get a rotation spot. If he gets a rotation spot, he's got another uphill climb to convince us fantasy owners that he's got any sort of value even in an AL-only league. But I think we, we could leave that door open a crack for him to reach back to that level, even at age 44, turning 45 during the season. I would love to see the. I'd love to see Colon get back to uh, where he was just a couple years ago, but uh, we'll have to wait and see. And in terms of pitchers who gave up a lot of home runs last year, too many home runs. Jake Goderizzi, according to the uh, Tampa Bay Times, he's drawing some trade interests. The Brewers, who seem to be interested in just about any available starting pitcher, they're in that mix. The Twins, uh, also looking at uh, adding a starter. And a third team that is a little bit more surprising to me, the St. Louis Cardinals, who seem to be all set with their starting rotation, but apparently they're interested in maybe trading for Jake Goderizzi. Last year, uh, Odorizzi went 10-8. and eight. He had a 4.14 ERA and a 1.24 whip. Now, if you just look at those surface fantasy category type stats for Odorizzi, it looked like a fairly typical year for him. Nothing you would really think twice about. It was, I'd say, a little bit of a down year for him because the ERA went up over four. But by the same token, with offense up, and Odorizzi in particular being in a tough division, being a little bit flyball prone, typically being a little bit homer prone. You could just look at that 414 ERA along with the other stats and say, yeah, that's that's a pretty normal Jake Odorizzi year. We, we know what to expect from him. And yet underneath, it was a pretty weird year for Jake Odorizzi. It really was. So let's start with that home run rate. Same uh, if, you, if you're rounding, not exactly the same, but same as Bartolo Colon's 1.9. So outrageously high for Jake Odorizzi. So in a way, it's it's uh, pretty good for him that he had an ERA that's as low as it was, given how many home runs that he allowed. And yet, the average dist distance of the fly balls that he did allow, and again, he's a fly ball pitcher, so this is a, a good-sized sample for him. It was the same as it was in 2016. When he allowed a much more modest 1.4, not great, but more modest 1.4 homers per nine, 319 feet was the average fly ball distance, which is very pretty normal, maybe slightly elevated, but I would, I would call that a normal distance. Nothing that would set off an alarm for me. But also, like Bartol Colon, the, the parallels just continue here. Odorizzi's control also wasn't what we've uh, been accustomed to see. So he was not pitching in, in the strike zone as often as he typically had. So you, you had those things going against him. But what made that ERA and whip palatable and made him a winning pitcher overall with a 10 and 8 record, which again, that's there's a certain randomness in that. But he had a 227 BABIP. And there was quite a bit to back that up. Now, he will almost certainly regress from 227. But he was certainly a better-than-average pitcher 
on balls in play. And you can start with the fact that he's a fly ball pitcher and that that's that's going to, you know, very likely work in his favor. So right there you say, oh, well, here's somebody who allows a lot of fly balls. You know, you could probably expect, you know, about 280 BABIP from him. But also not only more fly balls last year than he normally gives up, which is typically a high proportion, more pop-ups. So flies that are practically guaranteed outs, more of those last year. Fewer hard drives, which is a category that's used on X-Stats. Um, so the, the hardest hit balls, category of hit balls, fewer of those last year. And lower exit velocity on, on most kinds of batted balls. Much lower on ground balls, lower on line drives, and lower on hard drives. So 227, yeah, he probably had a little bit of luck thrown in there. But uh, he certainly proved himself to be a good pitcher on balls in play. The problem for Odorizzi was keeping those balls in play and not letting them leave the park. And he was better at missing bats last year. The strikeout rate was was a typical strikeout rate right around eight per nine for him because he wasn't pitching in the zone more often. So it's a it's a really mixed up set of trends for Jake Odorizzi coming out of last season. And that is why he is one of my 10 outlier players to track for 2018 because I want to see how he comes out of those weird mix, that weird mix of trends this season and whether he continues to be more than just a little better than average on balls and play. And it can, he shore up some of the weaknesses in terms of getting his control back to where it was before getting the home run rate more in control. It seems like he should, given that the average fly ball distance was, was normal for him, given that he had lower exit velocity on hard drives and line drives, it just uh, something didn't quite add up for Jake Goderizzi last season. He's going to be an interesting case study to look at this year. So uh, anyhow, I'll come back to those outliers uh, probably a little bit later on in the show and definitely on future shows. But uh, coming up, waiting in the wings here, we got Gary and Thorne. He's going to talk about some of his favorite sleepers and not-so-favorite bust picks for this year. And then a little bit later on the show, I'll review a couple of mine. And uh, lots more to come in addition to all that. So um, looking forward to having Gary on the show. It's been a little while. Always uh, interesting analysis. He likes to dig dig deep into the stats, too. So uh, looking forward to hearing what he has to say about uh, the players he's picked out. Anyway, stick around. We're heading to break. But when we come back, Gary and I will be right here. Did you know that you can listen to this show live on the award-winning Fantasy Sports Radio Network? Listen on the iHeartRadio app, the TuneIn Radio app, or download the Fantasy Sports Radio Network app. The Fantasy Sports Radio Network is the only totally free, 24-7, 365 Fantasy Sports Network of its kind without a subscription. Check out YouTube Live on the Fantasy Sports Network YouTube page and participate in the program in there, where you can ask questions, discuss the topics with other fantasy enthusiasts, or tell everyone that you disagree. Call into your favorite show and ask your question. The number is 844-84-FNTSY. That's 844-843-6879. The Fantasy Sports Radio Network, your free fantasy source, 24 hours a day. Welcome back, everybody. This is Fan Rag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior. And as promised and uh, much anticipated, uh, rejoining us, uh, I think for the first time this year, uh, it's been long this year. Let me just get on with it. Gary and Thorne, thanks for coming and welcome back to the show. Hey, Al. Thanks for having me. <laughs> uh, very glad to have you. Well, uh, the way I, I teased this right before the break, I said you really like to dig into the stats. I, I love uh, the segments that uh, we we did on your show and um you know so uh appreciate you coming on and and returning the favor and what i you know asked uh that you could provide was a few of your favorite sleepers and busts because i'm going to uh unveil mine over uh, the next uh, week or two uh and you sent me a short list i thought was really intriguing and and it sounded like you were very, very motivated to talk about clayton richard 
So let's just put him right up front and center. Uh, what uh, what has you excited about uh, uh, drafting Clayton Richard this year? And and you know what sort of format or what you know what sort of part of a draft might you be looking to target him? Yeah, I mean Clayton Richard. I'll be honest, right off the top. I mean I'm a guy who loves his ground ball rate. Uh, I think we all have our things we look for in starting pitchers, and I love someone who can keep the ball on the ground, and especially. When you look at the kind of returns we were getting from starting pitchers in fantasy last season, like we are currently inhabiting a fantasy baseball environment where just not allowing a home run per nine innings is elite. I mean, it's, it's kind of crazy where we're, where we're at right now, but Clayton Richard is definitely someone who can do that and did that across August and September of last season. And I don't want to pump too much into small sample size in the year, but we're talking about a span of about 10 starts, roughly 65 innings. We had a 3.52 ERA, 3.70 FIP, a 62% ground ball rate, and almost a 21% strikeout rate. Now that number's not going to blow anyone away, but when you're talking about 21% strikeout rate in the context of someone with a 62% ground ball rate, like I think if I just put out there as like a sample stat line, a 3.50 ERA, 20% strikeout rate, and 60% ground ball rate, Everyone's going to think I'm talking about Marcus Stroman. I'm not. I'm talking about a guy who's going almost 350 picks after Stroman. And and I don't want to make this about Marcus Stroman possibly being a better real-life pitcher than fantasy pitcher, which is a belief I've held for a couple of years now. I get to watch the guy. I love Marcus Stroman. I'm a Jays fan. But, you know, I, I think he kind of falls into that category. But I think Clayton Richard is someone who's really interesting because even if you want to nitpick about those August and September numbers, I think the big one is the 39% hard contact rate he was also giving up in that span of time. But this goes back to, you know, the time-tested and true statistical thought process, which is a stat by itself doesn't really mean a whole lot. And we've seen the importance of hard contact specifically kind of be mitigated by barrel percentage. I mean, this is someone who gave up a 35% hard contact rate for the year, but among pitchers with 600 batted ball events last season, only Zach Davies had a lower barrels percentage per plate appearance than Clayton Richards. So he's given up. Balls are coming off the bat pretty fast, but they're not in the air. They're not line drives. These are ground balls. These are worm burners. So I don't really mind that too much. And maybe that gets a little bit better. And, and I think the one thing, too, is he's an innings eater. Like, he, he almost threw 200 innings last season. Only 15 guys threw 200 innings last year. So... I think there's a lot to like about Clayton Richard. Is he someone who's going to maybe win you a fantasy championship? I don't know about that. But I think when we're talking about the last pick of the draft or the last two, three picks of the draft where people are always shooting for upside, maybe just go with Clayton Richard. He's going to be someone who's a valuable piece of your rotation all season long. Okay, well, that's interesting. And, you know, I, Gary and I knew if, if anybody was going to, you know, uh, preempt an argument I was going to make, it would be you. <laughs> and you did it exactly because, yeah, the the uh, the hard contact rate. Um, I you know, he doesn't give up very many fly balls, but I think the ones that he does allow, and I'm going off of memory here. I should have looked this up before the show, but I, I think that they go quite a distance. But you you know you you pretty much uh, you know nipped all those arguments in the bud, you know, by saying that you know the barrels, which are the most dangerous contact uh that opponents can make you know that they're that the rate is very low and that was something i didn't know about clayton richard so that's pretty cool i also didn't know that about zach davies either which would explain why he was better than it seemed like he should have been last year yeah there's some interesting guys towards the the bottom end of the list like obviously you're going to find your max scherzers and your really good guys but you know there's some dudes there like j.a happ another guy I like is a sleeper pitcher blake snell you know, the buy low coming off the big expectations. Like, there's some interesting numbers down towards the bottom of the barrels per plate appearances. Now, you know, the fact that he gave up 600 batted ball events, Scherzer gave up 445, tells you exactly what you need to know about their strikeouts and the actual plate appearances and the actual contact allowed. But, yeah, I mean, I just, again, Clayton Richards not sexy in any capacity. I'm not trying to sell him that way, but I think he is someone who's undervalued because there isn't the high ceiling, but there's an exceedingly high floor. Well, so, you know, the, the old SATs where they had the analogy questions, uh, you know, if it was Andrew Kashner is to Al Melchior as, you know, blank is to Gary and Thorne, blank would, would equal Clayton Richard. 
Yeah, I think so. It's a, it's a weird it's a weird it's a weird horse to hitch my wagon to, but uh, yeah, Clayton Richards my my guy, <laughs> and I've got mine. So I I I, uh, I, I hear you. Uh, but let's get to a couple of the other uh, sleepers that you you mentioned that you wanted to talk about. Uh, Patrick Corbin. Uh, I, I, in fact, on the last show, I talked a little bit about this um, Fantrax draft that I just finished up, slow draft. And one of the worst snipes that occurred uh, for me was Patrick Corbin. I, I had my eyes on him as a sleeper. Somebody got to him just before me. Um, so I like him. But what, what is it in particular that you like about Patrick Corbin? Yeah, I mean, again, as I mentioned with a guy like Clayton Richard, I mean, ground balls always kind of perk up my attention. And and in Corbin's, I, I got not defense. I don't know if anyone's really hating on Patrick Corbin right now, but, you know, he does have the sort of elite numbers from the past that could kind of evoke a little bit of ceiling, a ceiling you're not going to get with a guy like Clayton Richard. But, yeah, this, just some of the numbers in the second half. I mean, I was telling people to pick up Patrick Corbin from basically the start of June on, and he hit that nice little run in August that everyone went crazy for. But, but really, he was very good from about June 16th on. From that point, 117.2 innings pitched, a 3.21 ERA, about a 3.5 FIP, 23% strikeout rate, and a 51% ground ball rate. And again, another guy who held opposing hitters under a home run per nine innings. And even if you want to get like into the nitty-gritty of that 117-inning sample size, of the 20 starts, he gave up 42 earned runs in those 20 starts. 15 of those 42 came in just two horrendous outings against the Cubs, and the Padres. Padres one obviously probably a little less defendable for Patrick Corbin, <laughs> but a little bit of cluster luck there. I mean, if you're going to give me a guy who had 18 not just quality starts, but pristine starts over a 20-start sample size, adding the humidor out there in Arizona. I know his name's been on a couple of the trade radars a little bit. I mean, they're flush with pitching out there in Arizona, so I can understand that, but it all comes back, as it always does with Corbin, to the slider, and the slider looked so, so good last season. 22% whiff rate on that slider, and by the end of the season, he was throwing it as almost his primary pitch, Uh, and it seemed to be working. Like I really think Corbin is someone who has the skill set, has the ceiling, just has the ground ball rate, the strikeout upside. He really checks every box for me, and I know he's going around pick, depending on which format you're going in, 225, 250, this guy, for me, is someone who I think I'm going to reach up and grab inside the top 200 just to make sure I get him. Yeah, I, I expect that he'll return that value. And another thing I would add to something that you pointed out, um, assuming he does stay in Arizona, we don't know if there's going to be a humidor there or not, probably until very late in spring training. And as far as Corbin goes and Zach Godley, uh, I don't think it's going to really affect their value too much because of the ground balls. Uh, that that both have the track record of of inducing. So I'd worry about it more for the other pitchers in the rotation. But for those two, it, it doesn't really uh, you know affect that uh, that uncertainty is is not as great for me with uh, with Corbin or Godley. So you know uh, that's another reason to like him when there are so few pitchers that you can count on uh, you know getting a certain uh, outcome from them. Uh, now uh, first hitter that we'll talk about is Delano DeShields. You mentioned that he's a sleeper for you this year. Uh, so uh, what is it about DeShields maybe that other folks are missing based on early ADP? I'm kind of surprised by this one because, like you said, his ADP is well outside the top 200 right now. But he's someone who, where we all seem to be as a fantasy baseball community right now, just all in the continual hunt to find stolen bases, it seems like Delano DeShields is just sitting there and Steamer's backing this up. Steamer has him at 31 stolen bases next season. He stole 29 last year in 440 plate appearances. I'm not sure why we're not getting more excited. Maybe we've gotten burned too much by, like, the Gerard Dysons of the world kind of out there saying, oh, this guy's going to get 600 plate appearances this season. I know it. I know it. But I really can't figure out a path where Delano DeShields doesn't get around 600 plate appearances. I mean, Steamer has him at 598. So we're almost there. We just got to find two more. But you look at the defensive construct of the Texas Rangers right now. We don't talk a lot about defense when we talk about fantasy baseball, but no Carlos Gomez. He's a free agent. He's not coming back. They've got this massive hole in center field, and you start looking at the pieces they could possibly plug in there. No one aside from Gomez and DeShields played center last year for this team currently on their roster. Like You go through these guys, 
Jin Su Chu hasn't played center since 2013. Nomar Mazar has never played center at the major league level. Jerickson Profar has never played center at the major league level, despite seemingly playing every position at some point in his career. Ryan Rua played four times in 16. Joey Gallo had to play once in 2015. Even someone like Willie Calhoun, who's transitioning from second base to outfield. We don't quite know how he's going to be involved in this Texas Ranger lineup in 2018. We just know he will be involved, most likely. He was only playing second base and left field down in Round Rock. So maybe, you know, I, I know expected batting average hated Delano DeShields last year, but they, that stat tends to hate these slap hitters, the Beatle Gordons. The, even the Jose Altuve's of the world tend to get weighted down by that statistic. He would, to me, have to hit so poorly to lose the center field job that I'd probably have dropped him by that point anyway. And I'm not worried about that sort of thing at this price point in the draft because that steal upside could be so, so massive for a category that's just really lacking this season. Yeah, all that is true. And, and you know, I've, I've noted that, too, with DeShields in terms of how uh, ex, uh, bat, batting average treats him. Uh, I uh, ran some... Uh, I want to get you know too nerdy. Well, no, I do want to get too nerdy. You can get uh, go ahead. Be I, you, know, ran, you know, ran some cross tabs the off season. You know, looking at players' uh, batting average versus expected batting average on you know grounders and dribblers, and the Shields was was almost off the charts in terms of um, how much uh, XBA underrated him. And I just have to think it's just something about the way he utilizes his speed. Um, you know that ex- that explains at least some of that. Well, it's funny, you really look at expected batting average, and I was doing this a couple days ago, I believe there was only 11 guys who exceeded their expected batting average. So in a way, it's one of those statistics that it might just be one of those things that everyone's always going to look worse next to their expected batting average. Like, no one seems to outperform it. So, you know, maybe it's it's a degree of how much are we allowing this to affect our opinion of someone. Perhaps, yeah. Well, and I, I want to bring in, go off just uh, sort of off script here a little bit, um, uh, take an unplanned detour, because I did a Twitter poll uh, just a little bit earlier today asking people who would they rather have, Adam Eaton or Manny Margot. And later on in the show, I'm going to explain why I, I match those two up against each other. But both are being drafted way, way earlier than DeShields. And I understand that you're, you have much more power upside with either of those outfielders than you do with the shields, but I would expect the shields to just, you know, wipe up the floor with them in stolen bases. So first of all, who would you prefer between the two Eaton and Margot and then throw the shields in there? And, you know, how does he match up? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think in terms of their, if we're doing this in a vacuum, I, I might lean out of meeting. I mean, there are obviously some question mark with the injury, but just the way that Washington was able to construct their lineup last season, the damage the top of that order can do, and the way that all of those guys can get on base and just be a destructive force as a team. I mean, Eaton was so, so good for the three weeks he was healthy last season. Um, but, yeah, I think with, if you factor, start factoring in the, the ADP, again, I, I don't know why you wouldn't have DeShields at sort of that tier of player. And in the way that we always kind of want to draft at the back end of a tier – I really like Delano to shield when you start putting up with those guys. Yeah, yeah, understandable. Uh, well, a couple of uh, potential busts that you uh, shared with me, Jonathan Scope, Alex Wood. I've talked quite a bit about Scope on here. I seem to be, well, I was going to say, I feel like I'm in a minority of people who actually is buying into Scope's 2017. But I, I don't think that's really accurate for me quite to put that way. I think he's just polarizing. Um, so what, what are you not liking? I think with scope for me, it's just about possible volatility. I look at his archetype as a player, and obviously you can factor in the age curve here, and maybe he did just figure it out last year. I mean, that would be something that the aging curve would tell us. Like where he is at his career, you can't really factor in his you know, three seasons ago as much as you should factor in 2017. And I can really follow that argument But I start looking at comparables with Jonathan Scope. And maybe, again, this is a matter of, am I really hating on Jonathan Scope or I may be propping up a guy like Rudnett Odor? I mean, it's kind of crazy when you start comparing these two players, Al. You look at their O-swing, swing swing rate, and swinging strike rate from last season. 
Ope had a 37.1% O swing, 52.4% swing rate, and 13.8% swing strike. Odor had a 38% O swing, 52.8% swing rate, and a 13% swinging strike rate. Both had 36% hard contact rates. Both walked just about five times. However, only one stole five or 15 bases, and one had a 100-point BAPIP advantage on the other guy. I'm not saying that, you know, well, I am saying that I think I'd rather have Rudnett Odor 50, 60 picks after Jonathan Scope because I do think they're very similar players. But I think it's, I think Jonathan, or excuse me, Rudnett Odor's 2017 season is what I'm afraid of for Jonathan Scope. Yeah. I feel like when you're that type of player, it's not just volatility, but it's, it's really how far the gap is between the possible outcomes. And I don't know if he's going to be 2017 Rudnett Odor, but just that possibility scares me enough to not want to use a fourth-round pick on Scope when I could use a sixth- or seventh-round pick on Odor. Like, we're still talking about someone who just from a batted ball profile and even just a plate discipline profile like he had the lowest walk rate of any player from 2015 to 2016 that's a very baltimore orioles thing so it doesn't exactly surprise me but it's it's the volatility of the outcomes that makes me a little afraid to spend a 61st 62nd 63rd overall pick on a guy like scope well, Karen, you, you make good arguments as, as you always do. So um, <laughs> I may need to, to maybe I'll flip a flop, flip flop again on on, uh, on Jonathan. Still, <laughs> but give, give me food for thought. We're not going to get Dallas Wood, unfortunately. We got to uh, head to break, Gary. But thank you so much for taking the time to, to join me here today. Oh, thanks for having me. I was a good time. Oh, yeah. Likewise, likewise. All right, folks, we'll stick around. We're going to head to break and then uh, come back and talk some more sleepers and busts. Have you ever wanted to have a fantasy expert in the palm of your hand? Or better yet, in the pocket of your khakis? Well, check it out. Now you can. It's the Fantasy Sports Radio Network app. Download it now to your phone, we promise. No weird viruses. No strange tracking things. Just 24 hours a day, seven days a week of pure fantasy knowledge dropping all over your head. It's the Fantasy Sports Radio Network app. Stop being a weirdo and streaming it online. Get it on your phone. Take it with you everywhere you go. Welcome back, everybody. This is FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior. And uh, I don't think we can blame Nando for uh, any of his appearance on this show today. They never can be sure. But I will get to the bottom of that. In the meantime, uh, as promised, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about sleepers and busts. Uh, and also, big thanks to Gary and Thorne for coming on the show, talking about his, and uh, bringing all kinds of statistical knowledge with him. So uh, great stuff there from, from Gary and Thorne. But um, yeah, I've got uh, my top 10 sleepers and top 10 busts that I'm going to uh, unveil here on the show one at a time per episode. So next two weeks, uh, going to be counting them down and uh, probably tip my hand a little bit when I did the, the Manny Margot Twitter poll and then brought him up in the segment with uh, with Gary and Thorne. But yeah, Manny Margot is my number 10 bust going into uh, 2018. And, you know, I like Margot. I, I get the appeal. Uh, I, I think maybe people are counting on, and I, I'm just presuming here, I guess based on maybe discussions from last season or things, you know, that I read last season. So I'm not sure why people are uh, valuing Margot the way that uh, he's being valued so far early. His NFBC ADP uh, right now is 150. So, you know, again, just for basis of comparison, well ahead of Delino DeShields. And yeah, it's a different set of stats and some skills that we would expect from Margot. But uh, he is right neck and neck with Adam Eaton in ADP. And that surprised me a little bit because, yeah, Eaton certainly brings some uncertainty, as, as Gary mentioned, coming off of, of a big injury. Um. We sort of, I think, know what we can expect in terms of a ceiling from Eaton, in terms of power, whereas with Margot, maybe we think uh, maybe a 20 home run season is, is within reach, which is not something we would expect from Margot. But to me, 
Eaton is is the clear option to favor here, the clearly superior option. Uh, more, first of all, more of a track record. I, I think there's no question that he should hit for a much, much higher average, probably give you a very similar number of steals and probably a similar number of home runs, and he's got a way better lineup to hit in. So I just think that the pluses far outweigh the minuses with uh, Eaton versus Margot. And while ADP doesn't agree with me, my Twitter poll did. So uh, the results are in and got a lot of votes on this one, which is good. So I guess people really are starting to pay attention to baseball. And Eaton won the, the vote, 69 to 31%. So, you know, that's, uh, that's good. And actually, I'm just now taking a look at some of the comments, and one of them is Margo's a 2020 guy. So my assumption about people projecting a little extra power for Margot at least worked for that one particular person who voted, but uh, yeah, no, I think Eaton is, is the safer pick. I think he's the, and he's, yeah, he's not without risk, but I think he's the safer pick. And I just think he's the better pick. Um, so that's, you know, one illustration of how I think Margot is just being overvalued. Um, so again, not that, uh, you know, you wouldn't want to draft him if you wanted some steals. I don't think he's going to be a huge steals guy like a Delino to shields. So he's going to be like any one of, you know, any number of players that you could get in the middle of the draft who give you somewhere between 10 and 20 steals. There's there's not a lot of big steal sources right now, but there's really a lot of people in that middle range. And when Margot's not going to be likely to excel really in any other category, because he for a guy who did show some power last year, it's really based more on just hitting a lot of fly balls. Uh, he, he, you know, his, um, those stack cast types of stats that, uh, Gary and I were talking about last segment. I mean, Margo doesn't really shine when you look at those measures, doesn't seem to be a lot of, you know, hard contact or, you know, very high exit velocity, uh, for Margo. So he's going to have to hit a lot more flies, uh, to generate the power, which is going to take a bit of a toll on the batting average, most likely. So I, I just think that, uh, you know, there are a number of players, Adam Eaton being one of them, that are our superior option uh, at that point. So, uh, yeah, I think he's going a bit early. So just something something to think about if uh, you're doing a draft now or doing, doing one soon. And in terms of my number 10 sleeper, I'm going pretty deep for this one. And I actually probably should have prefaced this whole discussion by – defining some terms here because every year this is a debatable thing well what is a sleeper what's a bust and i'm going with pretty much what i think is the accepted convention that while there are players who are within even the top 180 p who i think are being undervalued that i'm not including those folks i'm looking at really the latter half of a draft below 150 p and for the most part 200s and lower Maybe a few. I do have a few players on the sleeper list. In fact, I've got in current ADP, I have two players in the 190 to 200 range. So I'm not going any higher or lower, I guess, depending on how you want to <laughs> scale this, uh, you know, a higher draft position than 190 for any of my sleepers. So we're, we're, we're not talking about end game for all of these. I think typically when I talk about sleepers, I'm actually talking about guys in the end game, late round picks. So I'm including a few that are a little bit more well-regarded and, and more valuable than that on the sleeper list, because I think there's a lot of room to outperform where they are, even those that are in the 190, 200, 220 range. Uh, but by and large, it's either players for the end game or even a few on this list that are more for deeper leagues. And for busts, uh, let's see, the lowest draft position of anybody on my top 10 busts is 164. And most of them are in the top 100. So that gives you an idea. I mean, you're, you're giving up something of value. And again, there are players who might be around 200 who I think are being overvalued. But at that point, particularly if you're talking about a 12-team league or, or maybe even 13 or 14-team league, you can replace those guys. You, you probably likely will replace a lot of those players. So these are the parameters of which I, I'm talking about with sleepers and busts. 
So number 10 bust was Manny Margot. Number 10 sleepers, Adam Frazier. So this is one of my deeper ones. And his current ADP is 403. That's the second lowest pick of uh, any player within the top 10. So I understand I'm talking about probably more about like a a 14-team league here than a 12-team league. But I, you know, I like Frazier a lot, so I really wanted to make a point of getting him into this top 10 because I think even like in a roto format, I wouldn't, wouldn't really be looking for Frazier in a standard points league. But in any kind of roto or, or categories format, he's somebody I would look at late despite that ADP, which says that, you know what, if you don't draft him, he's going to be there on waivers. But I might want to make a claim on him for a number of reasons. You know, first of all, I think that there's now a, a much better chance for him to get everyday playing time with the sell-off that the, the Pirates have had this offseason. So I don't think he's blocked in any way, which was a bit of an issue. I liked him last year. He was on my, my sleeper lists last year, too, uh, more because of the skills. And he did get a fair amount of playing time, but he wasn't exactly uh, an everyday player. So I think now he could be a regular everyday player. I actually expect Frazier to be an everyday player. But the thing I liked about him last year that I like this year, a little bit of, of stolen base appeal. Again, one of those players in that mid-range where, you know, give you double digits, but, you know, probably not even as many as 20. He could chip in there, and he could help you a whole lot with batting average. This is somebody who consistently has hit for a very high line drive rate. Um. Is, is not a pole hitter. There's nothing in his profile that would suggest that Frazier's not going to get a, a, a high bat up this year. So, yeah, he's somebody that I just, I think, it, just in those two categories, uh, batting average and stole bases, he can help you because those are particularly late in the draft. Those aren't, um, you know, necessarily things that you're, especially batting, batting average, I'd say even more than stolen bases. That's not, not a need. You're necessarily going to be able to fill easily late in a categories league draft. And Frazier's going to be there. So at least, you know, put him on your list, put him on the $1 list or the late round, reserve round list, whatever it is you bring with you on draft day. And just be aware that here's somebody who could help you in those two categories when you're having trouble finding somebody else that might give you that same combination. So, that's what I, I really do like about uh, Adam Frazier. So just getting started here. That's my number 10 bus, my number 10 sleeper. Uh, one other thing, actually two things that I absolutely need to get to in the show. I've got a Twitter question that I, I promised I would get to. I also uh, now I think for at least the second, maybe third show in a row where I've, I've said I'm going to uh, give sort of a wrap up analysis of the beat Al Melchior league on fan tracks. And basically I'll, just three things that I'll mention, and this will segue nicely into the Twitter question as well. This is a draft and hold league, deep league, so it's 15 teams, 50 player rosters, uh, but no roster moves once the draft is over, and now the draft is over. So basically, you have to draft what you're not going to be able to replace once the draft is over. So you got to make sure that you know you're well balanced in terms of categories, you're well balanced uh, in terms of depth. And so what I really did after I filled out those, you know, 23 active roster spots or, you know, players I would project into those spots, um, you know, I started building the depth and making sure that I was building a balanced team. But then you get beyond a certain point, probably somewhere in the mid to late 30s rounds where, you know, the, the pickings really, really get thin. And so I, you know, took some of these players that, uh, you know, are sleepers for me, uh, including Adam Frazier. Um, I just, you know, I, I sort of balanced between finding anybody who had any sort of upside, anybody who could maybe fill a position where I felt like I still didn't have quite enough depth. But then there were still spots left over where I could just basically get the players I wanted, just get players I like. <laughs> so uh, that was kind of how I rounded it up. And uh, I, I'm pretty, pretty happy with the results, results overall. Um, so we'll see how that goes. I, I will you know, keep you updated on that. I mean, the two leagues I really want to come back to uh, throughout the season are this particular Fantrax League and, of course, Tout Wars. 
and that auction is uh, coming up in, in mid-March. So the, the strategy question that I got on Twitter, this is from at Real Ryan McGarry. Hey, Al, if you answer questions next show, and here I am answering a question, could you spend just a minute discussing how your strategy would change in a league with no bench spots? What types of guys would you target? So a slightly different question, obviously, whereas you know the, the beat-out Elker league is no roster moves whatsoever, but tons of bench spots. But this is a league where you have no bench spots. And, you know, I wouldn't approach this dramatically differently. But the one thing for sure is that I wouldn't take risks with players that I knew I was going to have to get handcuffs for. So, you know, whereas in in a, a big, deep draft and hold league like the one, you know, that I just finished the draft for, you know, that's a league that's really good. Well, you know, I'm going to take a risk on this player and I'm going to have ample opportunity to get player B who might actually, you know, be the handcuff for that player. Um, you can't. <laughs> obviously, that's not going to work because you're, you're using up more than one active roster spot. Um, so I would, you know, go a little easier on those sorts of players, players with uh, extreme injury risk. I would be even more careful with doing that, with going after those sorts of players, because uh, I don't know what the DL situation is, but best case scenario is you have a DL that really is the only place where you can stash injured players. So basically, I, I'd just play a little safer if I didn't have uh, bench spots. But I wouldn't necessarily play it safer in terms of going after players like... Um, I don't know if Adam Frazier is the best example, but well, I'll use him since I talked about, but you know, somebody that is a, a, a late round sleeper for you. Like I, I wouldn't treat that any differently. Cause once you're getting into the final rounds, I mean, you're talking about players that most likely you're going to drop at some point anyway. So why not go after the players, you know, who have some upside and don't worry about if you can, you know, you can bench them or not. Um, Again, Adam Frazier, I'm guessing probably maybe a little too deep for for most leagues. But the point is that there's somebody that uh, you're not sure about because of whether or not they're going to meet their upside. Eh, I I, I would probably take just as much of a chance in a league without bench spots than one with one because I still think I'm going to be turning over those last few rounds worth of players in just about any format. So uh, hopefully, Ryan, that's a helpful answer. If it is not, <laughs> or if there's some part of this uh, uh, answer I didn't address, uh, get back to me on Twitter. And uh, that goes in general. If you have questions for the show, at BB on Twitter. And that's going to wrap up this show. So uh, thank you for tuning in. And I'll be back again in the same time slot, 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific, right here on Fantasy Sports Radio, uh, five days a week, Monday through Friday. And more changes to come, so stay tuned for those. Looking forward to filling in on all the new changes for the season. But for now, that's it. So uh, thanks a lot for uh, coming, and uh, hope to see you again tomorrow.